Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Lighthouse Bible Church this morning. Let's begin with a prayer. Heavenly Father, you are everything. You have given us your son, Jesus Christ. While you are all powerful and all knowing and sovereign, you're also gracious and merciful and loving. And when we were your enemies, lost and dead in our sins, you gave us your precious, perfect son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And he was buried. And on the third day, you raised him from the dead. And so that whoever simply believes in your son as their savior will never perish, but has eternal life. Father, we thank you for all your other good gifts to us. We know that now that we're children, your children, you will never hold back any good thing. And we thank you for the good things. We thank you for the word of God, the Holy Spirit and dwell in our hearts. We thank you for, for, for the body of Christ, other believers that you've surrounded us with. We thank you for all the freedoms and all of the provisions that you've given us, the healings. We ask, Father, this morning in a special way that you would uh, watch over and guide and care for and protect Helen um, and Bill. Also, would like to take this opportunity, Father, that you would uh, watch over my daughter Hannah and her husband Emmanuel this morning. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, everybody, let's stand and we will begin with a congregation song this morning. You may be seated at this time. Anybody recognize those where those lyrics come from this morning? Close. Isaiah 40. Very good. All my students. We've been studying Isaiah for two years. Good job. Good job, Kelvin. All righty, let's begin with a couple, with one announcement this morning. You know, we've uh, been waiting a long time to see how the Lord was going to take care of us in terms of finding a permanent space. Well, it looks like we're this close to having one this morning. We're actually in final contract negotiations with a space. It's um, just south of Sample Road on Federal Highway. So uh, Federal Highway ought to be familiar to everybody who's been with us for a while. Just a little bit south, but we're about a mile south of where we were when we had the church building. Well, please keep that in prayer this morning. All right, let's begin. The title of today's message comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 12. Who has believed our report? Who has believed our report? Please turn in your Bibles to Gospel of John, chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 36 this morning. Gospel of John, chapter 12, starting in verse 36. While you guys are turning, I'd like to take this opportunity to express our thanks to Art Cam, who's been who has been graciously allowing us to use his cafeteria on Sundays and Thursdays for the last year and a half at least. And we just want to express our appreciation. We'll never forget the your generosity that you've given us over the last year and a half in particular. Thank you. Come on, people. Wake up. Sunday morning. All righty. Gospel of John. That's a comfort to know. We've really enjoyed it. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we we were hoping we can get a meal out of, uh, you know, Mike before we leave, you know. (laughs) We've been talking about it. All right. John chapter 12, verse 36. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke. And then he went away and he hid himself from them. 
But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. In verse 36, we learn that after Jesus had talked about the light and believing in the light and not being in the darkness so that they may become sons of light, then he went away and hid himself from them. That action, by doing that, that marked the very end of his public ministry. The rest of chapter 12 is a reflection on his public ministry. And in, in, in verses 30, 37 to 50, which is, the, which is the end of chapter 12, it provides a summation of Jesus' ministry. It's broken into two parts. The first part is verses 37 to 43. That's where we are this morning. In the first part, John is reflecting. John writes these words, but he's reflecting on one thing that we've seen again and again and again in our study of the Gospel of John. And that's the tragedy, the mystery of Jewish unbelief. We've seen the resistance on the part of the leadership of the nation of Israel. We've also seen people who have believed. But by and large, the the nation of Israel rejected Jesus the first time he came. They won't the second time, but the first time he came, they rejected him. That is a great mystery because throughout the Old Testament, the Lord was revealing more and more about the fact that they would have a Messiah and a deliverer and a savior. And yet when he came, they did not recognize him. So that's from verses 37 to 43. Then the second part here in this summary of the whole public ministry of Jesus Christ, Jesus speaks in verses 44 through 50. And here he gives a very succinct summary of his teaching. So we have the unbelief of the Jews and the teaching of our Lord side by side. And that's how this ends. Now, we won't get into this today, but there's some debate about about whether Jesus spoke this to at this time or at another time. We're going to table that. Just realized that the words that he spoke summarized his teaching. And in particular, the the thing he wanted to emphasize again and again, which is the focus on his father, the fact that he had been sent by his father, the fact that the words that he spoke were from his father. Everything he did was according to the father's word. And he summarizes that in verses 44 to 50 of John chapter 12. He had he was talking about his own identity as he had so often. As we've seen already that you can summarize the the Gospel of John with the question, who is Jesus? And Jesus has answered that throughout his public ministry. And here in verses 44 to 50 of John 12, he summarizes that teaching. Now, at the very beginning of the Gospel of John, and I'd like you to turn there now. Please turn to John chapter 1, verse 11. The very beginning of the the Gospel of John, he prepares us. Now, this week we're focusing on the Jewish rejection of, of, of Jesus Christ, of the Messiah, the unbelief. Are you is that for me? 
Okay. <laughs> I'm seeing a note here from Mark. I always pay attention to those. Um, but here, remember, uh, in the first part that we, we're going to study this morning, you know, John's going to deal with Jewish unbelief, why they rejected their Messiah when he came. And, and in fact, the writer of the gospel, John, John the Apostle, he actually, at the very beginning, he prepares us for what we're going to see in, in this whole gospel of John in, on both counts. He talks a lot at the beginning, of course, about the identity of Jesus. He's the word who became flesh. He's the light of the world. All of that is at the very beginning, what we call the prologue of the Gospel of John. But he also prepares us to expect the fact that he is going to be rejected by his own people. Let's just take let's take a look at that. John chapter 1, verse 11. Very simply. He's talking about Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the light of the world. He came to his own. Now, his own here are the Jewish people. He came to his own, and those who were his own, the Jewish people, did not receive him. And again, that prepares us for all the things that we saw throughout the Gospel of John, all the times when he would perform a miracle and he would get great resistance afterwards. There were some who would believe, but by and large, and especially in, in the official world of the Jewish leadership, they did everything they could to prevent others from believing in his son, in, in, in God's son, Jesus Christ. That was at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Where we are now in chapter 12, now John is looking back. In chapter 1, it's all in front of us, the, the public ministry of Jesus Christ. In chapter 12, from, verse, from verses 37 to 50, John's looking back at the three-and-a-half-year public ministry of Jesus. And John has recorded time after time where Jesus witnessed, where John witnessed firsthand the extent and really the ferociousness of the rejection of Jesus by the Jewish people. But now he's, he's looking at that and he's pondering it and he's, he's really agitated by it. And he's asking himself and, and probably in prayer to God, how can this be explained? I mean, after all, the Jewish people, as Paul's going to talk about later in chapter 9, they received every benefit they possibly could. You know, they, they had been given the word of God. They had been given the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and all the rest of the Old Testament with the prophets pointing forward to Jesus Christ. They had been given the sacrifices in the temple, which was a picture of what would happen at the cross. They had every advantage, and yet, that when Jesus came, they didn't even recognize him. But worse, when he spoke of who he was, by and large, they rejected him. They rejected his words. They rejected his deeds. Well, how, how can this be explained? Well, John does something that's um, very significant here. He turns to that same Old Testament and he turns to one prophet. He, he, he turns to, to one prophet prophet that he's going to quote twice in our passage this morning, and that is the prophet Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah. You see, Isaiah had also been warned at the outset of his public ministry that in his time, the Jewish nation would reject his message. So, so, so Isaiah has a lot in common with John in this respect. Before the, before and, and us as readers and Jesus, especially that we knew at the outset of the Gospel of John, if we were paying attention to chapter one, verse 11, 
that Jesus would be rejected by the Jewish people. Well, so was Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet that was sent to the really to the court in Jerusalem, to the leadership themselves. And he was warned at the very outset of his public ministry by the Lord that the Jewish nation would reject his message also. Let's go back to our passage this morning. I don't know, have you left up? Yes, you have, right? You're in chapter one. Yeah, let's go back now to chapter 12, verse 37. John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them, remember, John summarizes at the very end the purpose of the gospel, right? There were many other signs, he said, that Jesus performed that are not written in this book, the gospel of John. But these have been given so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. So the, the signs have been, of course, very prominent. There's seven of them that are, that John records in the Gospel of John. By the way, only three of them were actually in Judah, where the, Jew, where the Jewish people lived primarily. Now, you might say, well, they're Jews in Galilee. Right. But the center of Jewish life was in Judea, Judea and, in, and in particular, um, in, in the city of Jerusalem. But there are three out of the seven miracles were performed there. Because remember, Cana... That's not in Judea, right? That's in the north. That's in Galilee. Um, the healing of the nobleman's son, same thing in the north and so forth. I mean, the feeding of the 5,000, remember, was on the shores of Lake Galilee in the north. So so there were three, um, but the three that were there, that, that were performed in, in Judea, two of them are at the very end, the fifth, the sixth and the seventh. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, namely the healing of the man born blind, an out and out miracle, unprecedented. And then similarly, the last one, the the raising of Lazarus from the dead after he'd been in the tomb for years. So in other words, the most awe-inspiring miracles were performed in in Judea. And one of them was just on the outset of Jerusalem. The other one was, was actually close to the temple in Jerusalem. So they saw these things. And yet what happened? Though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Notice verse 38, where John turns. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke. Isaiah had said these things hundreds of years earlier. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Verse 39, for this reason they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, second time John quotes Isaiah in explaining the unbelief, the rejection, the hostility of the Jewish nation to Jesus Christ. And this reason, verse 39, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and he's hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. When we get to to verse 40 this morning, we're going to take care not to take this in the wrong way, not to drift into a doctrinal error, let us say, okay, so that we understand what was really being said here. And and, and in a sense, where the responsibility for this blinding and hardening actually lies. And we'll see that. Then verse 41, these things Isaiah 
has said because he saw his glory and he spoke of him. Now, here in verse 41, who's 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 John talking about? When he says Isaiah saw his glory and spoke of him. Jesus, of course, that's been the whole gospel of John. Right. Well, it's interesting because then we're going to go back to Isaiah and where Isaiah um, hears these words. And then we're going to see who Isaiah saw. And it's going to be, I hope, an eye opening experience. And it's going to be something where we can use as a great argument, as it were, as a great um, way of proving that Jesus is God. In any event, back in verse 37, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. That's a great one sentence summary, a summary of what? Jewish unbelief that as recorded in the Gospel of John, he performed so many signs, yet they were not believing in him. And as a matter of fact, the more the more awe-inspiring the signs became, the more heightened the rejection and hostility of the nation was. So verse 37 is a great summary of that part of the Gospel of John. Because again, there's two parts, not parts, but there's two themes overarching themes that we that we see as we follow through the gospel one is this unfortunately jewish unbelief but the other is the is the amazing as it were self-revelation of jesus as well as those who did believe in him i mean after all his disciples believed in him after all the um, samaritans remember that whole town came streaming down the hill to go see jesus they, they believed in him interestingly samaritans which were half jewish and half gentile when, when, when Jesus retreats to the other side of the Jordan before he's going to come back and, and, and raise Lazarus from the dead, there many people had heard John's preaching because that's where John had his ministry. And they'd heard what he had to say. And now they'd seen Jesus. And they said everything that John said about this man was true. And many believed in him. Similarly, and we've seen this most recently, there were many that believed in Jesus um, because of the miraculous he a uh, miraculous raising of Lazarus from the dead. So it's not as if nobody believed in him. But by and large, he was rejected by the Jewish people. Though he is performing many signs, yet they were not believing in him. Jesus performed signs, many of them in Judea, the home of the Jews. The first one was when he, he healed an invalid at the pool at Bethesda, someone who had, been, who had not been able to walk for 38 years. Then right after that, what happened? Well, the Pharisees came along and they, and they disputed what the meaning of it was. And they said, but they were really upset because he did it on the Sabbath. I want you to think about that. Here is the fulfillment of prophecy in their very eyes. And what are they worried about? The fact that he may have violated a principle in the Sabbath, which, by the way, of course, he didn't. Then after that, he, he healed and gave sight to the man born blind. And we see the same thing. We see we see the the, the leader calling the, the man born blind to account because he dared testify that Jesus had performed this for him. They threw him finally out of the synagogue. And then we saw again that, that Jesus raised Lazarus from the grave. By the way, he performed many other signs which are not written in the book of gospel, but what John refers to many, many other signs. But after each miracle, the Pharisees and or the chief priests did their level best to stop 
the people from believing in Jesus. And that proves something. And this is a very important point to understand. And we've seen it before, but I want want to say it again this morning. Miracles will never penetrate the heart that refuses to hear the word of God. Let me say that again. Miracles will not penetrate the heart that refuses to hear the word of God. People can see miracles all day long, but if they don't accept the the teaching that explains the miracle, it's lost on them. It's a show, and that's about it. You know, I'm not a big fan of shows in Christianity. You know, I really am not. I um, and 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 so what I mean by that is that it's it's easy for some, for example, and I know I've picked on this before, but it's it's pretty straightforward and easy. Let's say, for example, for somebody who just scored the winning touchdown to give glory to Jesus. But my question is, and I'm not picking on anybody, is that really? Remember, was that really what glorifies Jesus? No, what glorifies Jesus is understanding our need for him and then under, and then allowing God to do his work, all right? And not only that, but then in gratitude, living the kind of life that he's called us to live afterwards. Those are the things that really give glory to God, you know? And when it comes to worship, it's not, it's not really getting together and singing the same line again and again for an hour and then having a two-minute Bible study. All right. That's not really it either. OK, it's focusing on the truth in the word of God about Jesus Christ, believing it, understanding without him, we can do nothing. And then allowing the power of God, power of the word, power of the Holy Spirit to work through us. All right. In any event, back to John. John chapter 12 or continuing in John chapter 12, verse 37. But though he had performed so many signs before them yet. They were not believing in him. Notice what he says next. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, which he spoke. We're going to see where Isaiah spoke these things in just a moment. We're going to go to Isaiah. As a matter of fact, chapter 53. But what Jesus, what John had just said, that even though Jesus performed so many signs, they were not believing in him, was a fulfillment of prophecy, the prophecy of Isaiah. Who spoke what? Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, when Isaiah spoke these things, what he was doing was looking at the fact that, now this is, we're going to see in a moment, this, this is at the beginning of chapter 53 of the, of the book of the prophet Isaiah. And we're studying that, of course. And, and what we've seen is that over and over again, whatever Whatever God did in the lives of the Jewish people, including an incredible miracle, when, when, when the Assyrian armies were converging on the city of Jerusalem and all seemed lost, but God had made a promise to King Hezekiah, and he fulfilled that in a miraculous way because 125,000 of the enemy soldiers died in one night. And they saw that, and yet what happened? Did they believe? No, they continued to be rebellious against him. Why? Because miracles will not penetrate the heart that refuses to hear the word of God. And Isaiah witnessed this. He was warned ahead of time. And he witnessed this throughout all of his his prophetic ministry to the Jewish people. And he kept telling them that, that, and he predicted this also, that because of their rejection of the word of God, they would finally be going into exile for 70 years. And by the way, even that, 
didn't really change their hearts. And so, so this is the context that, that this quote from Isaiah has. And we're going to see just a minute but where that happened and what chapter and why that's so significant. But the thing about it is, is that what, what John is clearly saying in verse 38 is that this Jewish unbelief fulfilled prophecy. Now, we're used to thinking about fulfillment of prophecy in the New Testament in terms of prophecies, let's say, of the Messiah, right? All the, and there's like dozens of prophecies that were fulfilled about Jesus Christ by Jesus Christ. But here we see another kind of prophecy, a negative prophecy related to the Jewish people, that they would reject the, the, the teaching ministry and the miracles of Jesus Christ. Well, with that, I'd like you now to turn to the passage in Isaiah 53 that John quotes. It begins in verse 1. In fact, these are the words that John quotes directly. But we're going to look at the next two verses as well. So we can also understand what he what he's then talking about, who he's then talking about. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, verse 1. As we're going to see, John pretty much quoted word for word, chapter uh, chapter 53, verse 1, Isaiah 53, 1. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's exactly what John just wrote. All right. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Of course, we, we know now from looking at the Gospel of John that he was talking about Jesus Christ. And yet Isaiah was talking about his own ministry in that time. And we see this again and again with prophecy, where there, we sometimes call it a, uh, a short and a long uh, fulfillment, a near and a far fulfillment. That, yes, these words were fulfilled in the time of Isaiah, but really, ultimately, they were pointing to the greatest teaching ministry, the greatest miracles, and that, that those would also be rejected, unfortunately, by the Jewish people by and large. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Now, verse two. Oh, he grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. All right, I've got a question for those who have been with us in the Bible study series of the book of Isaiah. What is, what, who is this talking about, first of all? Of course, Jesus Christ. And what is this chapter called? Does anyone remember where we're even looking at the overview of chapters 49 to 57, and we've seen that there are three the servant songs, right? This is the last one. Okay, so the so the servant songs are about Jesus Christ. Let's go through this again with that in mind. Verse two: For he grew up before him like a tender shoot. He, the servant Jesus Christ, grew up before him. God the Father. Notice that as and the same thing as John, we see the focus on Jesus in his relationship with his Father, like a tender shoot, like a root out of parched ground. That's talking about the 400 years 
when there was no rain of the word of God coming down upon the nation of Israel. Notice the next part. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. This has nothing to do with his facial appearance. It's not saying he was ugly or scrawny at all. I think he was he was probably the most handsome man who ever lived because he was perfect. He had no he had no sin. He had no corruption of his body. So that's something to think about. So what's this talking about? Well, what was it that what was it that caused the Jews to turn on Jesus? Even the ones who initially were attracted to his ministry again and again. It was the cross of Jesus Christ. It was the fact that Jesus didn't fulfill their concept of who the Messiah would be. And their concept would be what? That he would have stately form. That means royal and majesty. That people would would worship him the first time. That didn't happen. That we should look upon him nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. So that's the fact that Jesus didn't fulfill their expectations and desires for the king that they wanted him to be then verse three the result he was despised and forsaken of men this is now talking about the the, really the leading up to his crucifixion about people who just a week earlier had welcomed him as as their as their king some of them realized that but on the basis of the miracle that was performed of raising lazarus from the dead so they got excited about that but that didn't last right he was despised and forsaken of men i think of him with the crown of thorns now, with, with holding his cross, walking the road from, from, from the city of Jerusalem to the hill like Golgotha. He was despised. He was spat on. He was insulted, forsaken of men. Even his own disciples forsook him. All but one, the, John, the writer of this gospel that we're in. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I think about him at the tomb of Lazarus and how he, he, his heart was moved and he wept. And, of course, his sorrows came again and again when his family turned their back on him, when his own disciples turned his back, their back on them. When people whom he'd healed, people that he had fed miraculously turned on him so that at the, at the end of that chapter six, after the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, everybody walked out when he talked about what his death, unless you eat of my of the flesh of my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And it's not talking about physical Flesh and blood is talking about his offering of himself on the cross and the blood of Christ. That was that would would, would be the would be the reason why people would be saved. That's a lot, I know, but um, there's so much here, so so rich, and we need to understand this connection between what Isaiah is saying and what what the truth is in the life of Jesus, so that we get the impact of how of why John quoted verse one. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, no one wanted to be associated with him anymore. Even Peter, who said, I will, I will never, I will never turn my back on you, actually did when he was faced with um, possible death himself. Right. From, like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Well, as we've already as I've already mentioned, as you've already mentioned this morning, what this 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 passage is talking about 
is the is the fourth servant song of Isaiah, the last one. There are four of them in the in the prophet Isaiah. This is the last one, the fourth one. As 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 we have already seen this morning, those all talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we have it. Jesus' own people despised him. That's a strong word. In other words, they weren't neutral ultimately, right? Or, or as John talks about in the book of Revelation, lukewarm, that's bad enough, but they host, they were angry and hostile and hated him. Think about it. They said he had a demon. I want you to think about that for a minute. Here's the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament as their Messiah. Here's the one who told them and convinced them, should have, that he's the son of God. And yet they said he, sinless, God's own son, had a demon. Now talk about hostility and hatred and being despised. But not only that, they accused him of blasphemy. And and we're going to see ultimately when Jesus sums up what he experienced from the nation of Israel, he's going to say, they hated me without a cause. They hated me without a cause. So Isaiah cries out, who has believed our message? Not many. Even though the Lord had revealed his arm to them. Now let's talk about the arm of the Lord for a little while here. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. The arm of the Lord refers to his power. The arm of the Lord refers to his power. Now, here in John chapter 12, our passage this morning, it refers to the miracles of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus. In other words, the arm of the Lord was revealed to these people. And yet, who believed the report, the message? Not too many. All right, let's continue now in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 39. John, chapter 12, verse 39. We've seen the first quotation John uses from Isaiah chapter 53 to explain Jewish unbelief. Now he's going to go to another passage. And it's for the same reason. Look at John chapter 12, verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes. And he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. Verse 41 again. These things Isaiah said because he saw Isaiah saw his glory. The Lord we're going to see in a minute. And he spoke of him. Isaiah, of course, we know Isaiah spoke of Jesus Christ many times in the in the book of Isaiah. We've seen that like Isaiah 9, 7. When he talks about the fact that Jesus would come and he would have a kingdom that would never end, for example. That's just one of many places. We've just seen it in Isaiah 53 as well. So now the question is, okay, so where did John get this statement from? And it's actually much earlier in the in the book of the prophet Isaiah. It's all the way back. I'd like you to turn now to chapter 6 of the book of Isaiah. Once again, John is going to turn to the prophet Isaiah again to explain this great problem, this this mystery of Jewish unbelief. Isaiah chapter 6, starting in verse 1. 
this is one of the few times where Isaiah describes something that occurred in his own life. Okay, he doesn't do that often. He's a prophet, so he's mostly talking about future things. But here he's going to talk about his commissioning. Okay, when the Lord commissioned him to be a prophet who would speak for the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim, these are angels now, the highest level of angels. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two, he covered his face. This is the angel, the seraphim. Two of the wings covered his face. With the other, with the next two, he covered his feet. And then with two, he flew. And then one called out to another. One seraphim, angel, called out to another as they're flying now. It's, a, it's, a, it's an impressive imagery we have here. A Lord on his throne. He's lofty, he's exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. And then seraphim were above him, and they, and they had six wings, and with two they covered their face. I want you to picture this. With two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another, and they said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds, this is the temple now, trembled at the voice of him who called out. While the temple was filling with smoke. Then I said, this is Isaiah, woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. Why is he ruined? For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. What? That is the only re- proper response to a sinful man Look, considering now, we don't get to see what Isaiah saw, but even considering the holiness of God, the Bible calls it the fear of the Lord with good reason. There's, we should tremble at the idea of, of the fact that we at one time were sinners, not declared righteous, and that the holiness of God was, was, was the standard we could never meet. Okay, let's continue. Verse 6, then one of the seraphim, one of the angels, flew to me, Isaiah, with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it, and he said, behold, this has touched your lips. See, they're unclean, but now the coal touches his lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, this is, of course, a, a picture of the of the uh, redemption and atonement that Jesus Christ would accomplish on the cross. I want you to notice too that this is gracious, right? It was simply a matter of an angel touching his lips, and his iniquity is taken away, and his sin is forgiven. Just like for us, you know, happy are the man whose sins are forgiven without doing works, as as Paul would say in Romans four. Now, verse eight. Then. And I heard the voice of the Lord. Until now, he had heard the voice of the angel. Now he's hearing, the, he's hearing directly from the Lord, the king, on the throne. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Whom shall I send and who will go for us? In the beginning was the word, 
The word was with God and the word was God. Remember that picture of what the fact that there's more than one person in the Godhead. We'll see it here. Whom shall I send? That's singular. And who will go for us? That's plural. And here we have the, the Trinity and the fact that each each member of the Trinity was an individual person. Isaiah responds. Then I said, here am I. Send me. Why? Because his lips that were unclean had been had been touched and his sins were forgiven. And he understood now that the Lord had qualified him to go and speak on his behalf to the people. Then I said, here am I. Send me. And then the Lord said in verse nine, go and tell this people. Notice, go and tell this people. Keep on listening, but do not perceive. Keep on looking, but do not understand. That's what he's going to that's the, that's what the message is going to come from the prophet Isaiah. And that is that is the message that he gave. He, and this is not this is not saying that the intention of the Lord was for them not to perceive and not to understand. You see, this is a prophecy. This is saying that Isaiah is going to tell them over and over again, but they're not going to understand. Verse 10, render the hearts of this people insensitive. We're going to see how. This came about, their ears dull and their eyes dim. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and return and be healed. Now, in verse 8, it's a commissioning ceremony. The Lord commissions Isaiah. In other words, calls him and gives him a mission. Okay? He commissions Isaiah to speak to the nation of Judah on behalf of the Lord. Now, I've read verses 1 to 10 this morning, and, and we studied this back early, early in our series on the book of Isaiah. So I'm not going to review an entire study. It Probably that would take weeks. I'm just going to point out a couple of things here. The first one is that Isaiah is given a stunning vision of our Lord. Now, the, now the Hebrew word that is used by Isaiah and here in chapter 6, for Lord is Adonai. Adonai. Now that's significant. I want to tell you why. Because that name is the name, and it's the proper name of God. It's, it's the, you can only use that word to describe God, to identify God, to give the name of God. It's the proper name of God in the Hebrew Old Testament. The vision that Isaiah gets is of the Lord sitting on his throne in the temple with attending angels, singing songs of worship and praise to Adonai, to God. That's the first thing. The second thing, I want you to think about where we started in the, in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and the words in verse 30, 41, these things Isaiah said, because he, Isaiah, saw his glory and spoke of him. Now, when Isaiah, what, who did Isaiah see in chapter 6? Who did he see? Jesus. Sitting on a throne. We'll, we'll hold off on that for a minute. I just want to say in the text itself. What is the text of God? God, Adonai. So, so Isaiah spoke and he's and he, he seen the glory of God and, and he spoke of him he spoke of the Lord, of God 
Yet in verse 41, we've already, I've already asked this question and you answered it. In verse 41, who's John talking about? Jesus Christ. Okay. Isaiah's talking about God. Jesus, uh, John is talking about Jesus Christ. Therefore, Jesus Christ and God are the same. Jesus Christ is God. In other words, Isaiah saw a vision of the pre-incarnate. That's a fancy word. All that means is before he took flesh, the son of God. But it was a vision. OK, so it was it was a vision of the what we call the pre-incarnate Christ. So, yes, this was all. He also saw an, a, a, the glory of the Lord, the glory of God. And as I've just pointed out. This proves, in other words, John 12, 41, connected with Isaiah chapter six, proves that Jesus Christ is God. And I got to tell you a little just to give, stop for a moment and I'll tell you one thing. It's kind of a side light, but I still want to say it. Way back when, years and years ago, um, the church I was at at the time, Grace Bible Church, was infiltrated by the Jehovah's Witnesses. And in response, okay, I was asked to give a, give a series on the Jehovah's Witnesses. One of the things I learned was that they actually took the, the Hebrew and the Greek and they changed the text of the Hebrew and the Greek anywhere it pointed out that Jesus was God. They did that over and over again. Okay, that's pretty bad. I mean, it's one thing to come up with your own English translation. It's a whole other level just to go and change the Greek and the Hebrew that it was originally written in. And they did a great job. I mean, from the point of view of us thinking about passages and then going to their Bibles, I think it's called the New World Bible. I think that's the name. What is it? Yeah, New World, right? Um, and you'd read a passage again and again. This is what makes it totally very difficult to witness to Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? Which I don't recommend, actually, usually, because 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 John in the letter of Third John says, "Don't even don't even invite them. Yeah, you know, don't even give them a hearing." And the reason is is actually they're they're a pretty good illustration of what Isaiah was talking about. In other words, they're blind and their and their hearts are hardened and they don't want to hear it anymore about what the, what Christianity says, who Jesus is. In any event, even though they did a fantastic job taking out and changing any verses that spoke about Jesus Christ as God, they missed this one. They missed it. They didn't understand the connection between what John was saying in chapter 12 and what Isaiah was changing and was saying in chapter six. I was real excited. When I found that one out, that's just a sidelight. All right. Jesus Christ is God. These two passages prove it. Let's go back to our main passage this morning and let's go at verse 39. John chapter 12, verse 39. For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said again, he has he has blinded their eyes. And he hardened their heart so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their heart and be converted and I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory, the glory of Jesus Christ, Adonai, the Lord God. And he spoke of him in chapter six of the book of Isaiah. 
I want to just say now, these verses we're on, especially verse 40, they require careful treatment to avoid drawing false doctrinal conclusions. Okay? There are those who will take this passage, this verse really, and say, aha, this proves that God decides who's going to believe and who doesn't. Well, that's a lie, as we know. So that's why I want to caution everybody this morning. Don't draw conclusions with a superficial understanding of this passage. Now, back, I, this is, of course, a quote from Isaiah. At the outset of Isaiah's ministry, he was told that his teaching would render the hearts of this people insensitive. His teaching would render their ears dull and their eyes dim. In other words, because of what he's going to say, their response, their reaction was to, was to make their hearts, their own heart insensitive, their own eyes dull, their own eyes dim. Here in verse 40, John says, Jesus blinded their eyes and hardened their heart. Boy, that actually sounds like he caused them not to believe, but that's not at all what John is saying here. How did Jesus blind their eyes and harden their heart? Well, I'll tell you why. I mean, how? He did this with miracles and teachings. Miracles and teachings. In other words, his miracles hardened their heart. His teachings hardened their heart. His miracles caused them to become blind. Well, how does that actually work? Well, I want to give kind of an analogy. We don't have really time to study this in any detail. You can check this out later if you wish. But Paul in chapter 7 of the book of Romans actually says that the law actually aroused sinful passions. In other words, the sinful passions of man were in the flesh already, but they were drawn out. They were aroused by the law, which was good. Well, that's the same thing we have here. Obviously, the miracles of Jesus are good. The teachings of Jesus are good. And yet, those same teachings, those same miracles provoked unbelief. The unbelief was already there. This is so important. Already there. God did not put unbelief in the hearts of the Jewish people. But Jesus' words and Jesus' works provoked it. Provoked it. Caused it to come out. Make it obvious. Really intensify it. Because they're reacting in their unbelief. But their heart was already inclined to unbelief. And that's so important. So the Jews did not believe. Right? That's verses 37 and 38. Who has believed our report? They didn't. Right? By and large. Until finally they could not believe. That's verses 39 and 40. They did not believe until finally they could not believe. Whose fault is it? What's the first part? They did not believe. Over and over again. Miracle number one, did not believe. Miracle number two, did not believe. Miracle number three, did not believe. Teaching that Jesus, you know, do you, do, we've seen this already, but... Isn't it something that the Gospel of John is full of repetition? You know, I, there was somebody, um, when Pastor Rory Clark was on sabbatical, 
a lot of his people came and, and listened to our teachings on Sundays. And when Rory came back, he asked them, he said, what did you learn? And, he, and they said over and over and over again, Pastor Folly kept saying, believe, believe, believe. Well, OK, enough already. Well, it wasn't enough already for the Jewish unbelievers. That's the point. They could not believe because they did not believe. Now, remember, Isaiah heard these words at the beginning of his ministry, right? At the beginning. At the beginning, the Lord said they're not going to believe. Their hearts will be hardened. Their eyes will grow dim at the beginning. Now, it was a prediction, right? That's what prophets do. It was a prediction. He was looking forward to the future when that would happen. But he saw it ahead of time. On the other hand, John quoted these words with regard to Jesus' ministry at the end of it. He's looking back, and now he's saying what did happen. He's reporting on what happened. Okay, Isaiah looks forward, prophesies what will happen. John looks back and tells us what did happen. Okay. So, and I'm going to put this as simply as I can, I hope, and clear as I can, so I hope this gets the point. In other words, John records the result, okay? The result. Here's what actually happened. There's Jesus' ministry, full of miracles, full of teaching. The result was that the Jews did not believe. But that was not the – there's a difference between purpose and result. Any parent understands that, right? My purpose was to bring up my child in a certain way. The result, unfortunately, was – they really weren't willing to live the way I taught them to live, right? Can anyone give me an amen on that who's been a parent? Haven't we all experienced that? Was it our purpose that they would break the law and go to prison? No. Could that be the result sometime? Unfortunately, yeah. Well, it's the same thing with the Lord. It wasn't his purpose at all. It was the result. It was the result of his ministry, not the purpose. The purpose was quite different, quite opposite. To see that, let's go to John chapter 3, verse 16. Result, the Jews did not believe, despite all the miracles, all the signs, all the teaching. That's the report. That's the result. That's not the purpose. You know, yesterday, I watched a little bit of basketball. Well, maybe a little more than a little bit. This is my favorite time of the sports year. NCAA, March Madness, right? Well, the result was that half the teams lost. I mean, that's kind of the way it works, right? You either win or you lose. So let's say, for example, that um, Arkansas, no, Kansas lost to Arkansas. Okay? That's the result. There's the reports. You can look it up today. But let me ask you something. Was that the purpose of the coach to have his team lose? Lose? No, so there's a big difference between purpose and result. That's all I want you to think. So what's God's purpose in sending Jesus? Purpose of the miracles, purpose of the teachings. Watch. Look at John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's the purpose of sending Jesus into the world so that they would see him and hear his teachings and see his miracles and believe in him and have eternal life. Verse 17. 
purpose. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. That wasn't the purpose. But that the world might be saved. The world of unbelievers, all of them might be saved through Christ. That was God's purpose. So did God predestine anybody to unbelief? No, he did not predestine the Jews to unbelief. Perish the thought. Get that out of your mind. Calvinist this morning, pay attention. He didn't do this. His purpose was that all would believe. The Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not wishing for any to come to repentance, but to all, I mean, any to perish, but for all to come to believe, to repentance. But what happened? They rejected the message of the gospel. Okay, that's what happened. Purpose, here's the gospel. Please believe you'll have eternal life. Result, they didn't believe. They rejected it. They rejected the message. They rejected the person of Jesus Christ over and over and over and over again. It was their doing, not God's. But finally, after all of this, after all the times where they were basically saying, my desire is not to listen My desire is to pay no attention to the miracles. I don't want to hear what Jesus has to say. I won't believe it. I won't believe it. I won't believe it. I won't believe it. And finally, the Lord grants their request. As the Bible talks about, he gave them over to their own unbelief. They loved the darkness, and the more they loved it, the more they rejected the light. Finally, they seared their consciences as with a branding iron. That's an image. Who did that? They did. God didn't do it. They did. All he did was make it official. In that sense, he blinded their eyes finally and hardened their hearts. He made it official. He basically just gave them over to what it was they clearly and completely wanted. Please, as we close this morning, let's go to Psalm chapter 81, verse 11. We're going to look at two passages as we close. One in the Old Testament, one in the New. Psalm 81, verse 11. Psalm 81, 11. They refused to believe in him over and over and over again. And that was their doing, not God's. But finally, the Lord granted their request. Look at Psalm 81, verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. Who didn't listen to their voice? They did. So if you don't listen to a voice, can you see that you're turning your ears off? They did that. Israel did not obey me. Over and over and over again. So finally, verse 12, I gave them over to the stubbornness of their own heart. If that's what you want, here you go, to walk in their own devices. Make no mistake. This is where it gets solemn and serious today. For anybody who's not a believer, listen to my message. For anybody who's in your life who hasn't believed yet, God will eventually give people over to what they love. Once they made it clear that no amount of entreaty, of preaching, will ever convince them otherwise. Mm. Let me say that again. God will eventually give people over to what they love. Once they've made it crystal clear that no amount of entreaty will ever 
convince them otherwise. God is God is sovereign, of course. But you know what else he is? Omniscient. He knows at what point they've actually seared their own conscience, consciences. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 21. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. I know I'm keeping you a little bit longer than usual. This is a serious thing. This is a question a lot of people have. There may be some who hear my voice today, and, and I'm describing you, that again and again you've heard the message. You've seen the, the Bible talk about the miracles of Christ. You've heard the fact that God has done all the work and all you have to do is believe in his son. That when that, that you're dead and God wants to make you alive and he wants you to just understand that the blood of Christ has dealt with sin. Romans chapter 1, verse 21. For even though they knew God, notice, they did not honor him as God. Who? They didn't do it. It's their action, their decision, or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations. They hardened their own heart, in other words, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They became 100% committed to idolatry. Then what happened? Verse 24, very solemn thing. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their flesh, of their hearts, their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And finally, he gave them over. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And then finally, the Lord gave them over. Unbelievers, if they persist in their unbelief, face a frightening prospect. What do they need to do? They need to learn the fear of the Lord. They need to understand that God is holy, holy, holy. It's a serious and solemn thing. Today, it may, this is you maybe today. You may be close today of completely hardening your heart to God. Or perhaps it's a close friend or a family member who is on the cusp of searing their own conscience. Well, whoever you are, I beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. While you can still make out, however dimly, the light of the gospel, believe in the light, Jesus Christ. There only may be a little while left for you to do that before the darkness completely overtakes you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you this morning to enlighten our eyes to these truths. Help it to to mature our hearts to understand the seriousness of what it means to reject Jesus Christ over and over and over again. We ask this morning, Father, that we continue to be bold because it's not for us to decide when that happens. That's your in your sovereignty, in your omniscience, that's your that's your prerogative only. We should never assume that this is the truth about anybody. We should always be bold in the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and pray that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will pierce their hearts. And so, Father, in the time remaining this morning, I want people to hear one more time the gospel, that Jesus Christ is God, that he became a human being, And he died on the cross 
for our sins and the sins of the whole world. Yours this morning. Mine. Everybody's. And then he was buried. The third day, Father, you raised him, Jesus, from the dead. And you did all of that so that someone can simply believe. No works, no struggle, no religious practices. So that someone may believe in your son, Jesus Christ, as their savior. And never perish and have eternal life. So, Father, today we would ask that you would penetrate the hearts through your, through your word of people who don't believe yet. We ask, Father, that we as believers would pray and take this seriously and understand how solemn and serious this really is. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. All right, Peter, you're welcome. All right, please come again on Thursday, 6.30. We're studying the prophet Isaiah. I hope you see the connections this morning a little bit more, right, between the Isaiah and, and John, and I hope that spurs some of you to come and, and join us. You can do it on Skype. You can come here Thursday, 6.30.